everybody. What's going on? This is Zach Wild from Black Level Society, and we're all doing a hang with John on Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Phil Cullen from Death Hunt for the Man Race. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Horns up. Give you some money, man. I got two tickets, but I'm taking everybody, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hang out and turn it up. Hey, this is John Five, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 186 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John, and we're coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best hard rock, heavy metal, blues talk on the net. Episode 186, we've got kind of an interesting assortment of stuff. We have joining us from the cast of Rock of Ages on Broadway and also a guitarist for uh, the punk new wave uh, icon Blondie. Uh, we have joining us Tommy Kessler. A uh, very interesting conversation. If you were a musician uh, looking to become a professional musician. It's a really interesting uh, interview. I think you should uh, give it a close listen. We also have joining us on the show from the Black Veil Brides, Andy Beersack. Uh, if you've listened to the show regularly, you'll know that Andy joined us in episode 185. It was kind of the feature interview of the show. Uh, I was fortunate enough to catch up with Andy while they were in Pittsburgh on the Black Veil Brides uh, Church of the Wild Ones tour. So Andy and I sat down and talked a little bit more in depth about the Legion of the Black movie that uh, they produced, which is kind of a, a visual representation of their album. So we're going to play that interview for you as well. So to get us started, we're going to play a track from a band from Western Pennsylvania. This band's called Claymore. Uh, actually, they have made their debut on uh, a brother podcast of ours, Focus on Metal. If you go to castironring.com, you can check out all of the Cast Iron Ring podcasts, which includes Iron City Rocks. The Ben Claymore was the track of the week on Focus on Metal. Uh, embarrassed to say that they played Claymore before we did, but uh, they had been in touch and we were just holding the track a little bit longer. So we're going to play a track called Queen of the Nightmares from Claymore.
Bard again. That was Queen of the Nightmares from Claymore. We're going to do now, we're going to go into the interview we have with Tommy Kessler. Tommy Kessler, uh, guitarist of Blondie, uh, for about the last three years. Uh, they are working on a new studio album, and he did a couple tracks, as he talks about in this interview, on her last studio album. Uh, if you're a Blondie fan, I recommend you check out Amazon.com. Go to the MP3 section. I believe there's two or three free tracks available from her. Uh, so I think everybody loves free, so check those out. Uh, Tommy also has been with the Broadway cast of Rock of Ages, plays in the band in the bar. Um, I have not seen the movie, so I can't speak to the movie, but as many of you are probably aware, the Rock of Ages has been touring the country. A huge hit, it plays in Las Vegas, I believe, and also on Broadway. So we're going to play just a little bit of the taste of the Broadway cast, which features Tommy. Then we're going to talk to Tommy Kessler. There's only one thing to remember. Any way you want it, that's the way you need it. Any way you want it, take destiny. She loves to laugh, she loves to sing, she does everything. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show. We have Tommy Kessler. How are you doing, Tommy? Doing good. Doing great. Will you um, kind of a, wear two hats in the musical industry right now? You are a uh, member of the cast of the amazingly successful uh, Rock of Ages on Broadway, uh, yes. also guitarist for the band Blondie. Um, why don't we start out with how did you how did you get interested in guitar? What what kind of got you into music as a youngster? Um, well, when I was, uh, my mom's a, a, a piano player, so growing up I've been around music, and uh, um, I guess when it came time to learn an instrument, uh, the option to learn piano was there, but I went with uh, guitar because I didn't want to didn't want to be competing against my mom all the time, and uh, even though, I hate to say it, but uh, piano is a, it's a, it's a pretty good thing to learn now that I'm yeah. in the studio, well, now that I'm in the studio writing and producing all the time. Having a having a piano at your hands is is a very uh, it's a wealth of information and knowledge. But I don't really have you know I've got a little bit of it, but not not what I could have had. Sure. Um, but guitar, uh, I don't know guitar. I went and saw Van Halen, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of around the time that I was looking at what instrument I wanted to learn how to play, and that kind of solidified the deal. Yeah, I that was it. And Ed- Edward had that effect on many many people. Now. <laughs> Um, you, you mentioned with your with your mom being a pianist. Uh, did you learn, and also as a producer, did you learn to read music kind of formally in that period? Yeah, yeah. I, I went. I had. I took lessons, and uh, there was a good good amount of time, a couple of years, where I studied classical music. And you've got to. I mean, learning learning uh, music, learning how to read music is is definitely a must at yeah. that time. Yeah, and it seems to separate a lot of. of you know, kind of one-and-done musicians from career musicians. I notice that, you know, in, in what we do, we talk to a lot of people, and it seems like people who can read music tend to be the people who end up doing session work later on or, you know, producing and things like that. So that's that's great to know. Yeah, uh, it opens up a lot of doors mm-hmm. that, you know, that wouldn't normally be open. If it, and I don't, I don't say, I, I wouldn't say I can read music like people read a book. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom can. Like it's just words on a page. Sure. But uh, but you know I, I I know how to read it. Um, yeah. I just need I just need a, an extra five minutes to take a look at it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I sadly will admit I have, even when I when I read music and I, I can read it, but I still have to write in the you know up above you know this is an A or this is a D so I can play oh, I, it quicker. I still, I still do that from yeah. time to time. Don't worry about it. Don't don't feel bad. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's, it's it would be kind of the equivalent of somebody who might be a. You know, aware of Spanish but not fluent in it. You know, I can sit there and kind of chunk my way through it. So, um, how did you get your professional break? I mean, you know, it goes from one thing from being a kid who was enamored with Eddie Van Halen and starts to study music. But how did you make it into you know what's become your career? Well, I, uh, well, I mean, my 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 breaking point, no pun intended, but <laughs> I uh, when I was twenty, I, I broke my hip in a uh, motorcycle accident. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that was kind of my. Uh, after that, I kind of had a, I don't know, I thought about some things for about a month, and I was like, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna take a stab at this guitar playing thing, uh, musician stuff. So sure. that's that's kind of what I did. I, I went and auditioned uh, for a place called Shadowbox Cabaret in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And I did that on crutches. My, uh, my friend brought in uh, my guitars for me, and I walked in on crutches, went up on stage and sat down and, and uh, played a little guitar, kind of auditioned for 
the music guy there, and um, mm-hmm. a month later, I think a month later, April, May, June, about a mo- two and a half months later, after I broke my hip, I it was I had just done my first show there, awesome. and that kind of started. Then mm-hmm. that, that was kind of like a comedy club that played a like a cabaret place. They did a sketch comedy on one stage and a music stage on the other okay. side of the venue. And so they went back and forth. They do a sketch comedy and then play songs. Sketch comedy, play songs. So it was kind of like their version of a uh, Saturday Night Live, you know, sure. but but in a cabaret setting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's how it started. Roughly, what time period was that, Tommy? Oh, I was twenty. So uh, what would that be? Twenty two thousand one, two, okay, two thousand two, something like that. Okay, and what what year did you get involved with uh, Rock of Ages? I mean, that I know you were you were featured on the soundtrack. Uh, that was around two thousand nine. But um, how did you get tied up with them? And roughly what year? That was uh, well, we've been running now for four and a half years, I think. Okay. So two thousand eight. Okay. September of two thousand eight, I think, was when we first started our uh, rehearsals for that. Okay. It and. Was, uh, is that what got is that what got you to move to New York, or did you already migrated up there? At that point? No, actually, no, actually, after the after the uh, Shadowbox thing, a couple years after that, I decided to, um, I, you know, it was a stepping stone. Sure. Uh, I learned everything I could there. I felt like I got what I needed, and I I left. I I walked away from that job, and my mom happened to be doing a production of Cats, okay, the the the, the Broadway musical, um, a regional production in Ohio. Okay. At a theater there, and she just just the timing worked out. She said, "I uh, they need a guitar player. If you want to do it, I can probably just get you in." So I uh, so I did it. I've, I've never done a theater show, so and this was an easy way to try one out without the uh, without the added stress of not knowing anybody. Yeah. My mom would be playing piano in the in the in the in the, uh, the orchestra. So I did that. That was like a twelve week run. I met I met a girl there. Um, and this, and this, uh, and what they did was they flew everyone out from New York to do the show there locally in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So she was from New York and she was going to go on the tour. So she just said, Hey, if you want, come out to New York and you can stay at my place, um, and see if you like it. And so I did it. Apparently, and that was, you, apparently you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and I stuck around for a little while. See, you know, yeah. I'm still here checking it out. Yeah. Uh, so, see, that, so that was how I got to New York. And, uh, you know, I don't know. That was, what would that be for? Five, maybe uh, seven years ago. Okay. Maybe seven years, eight years. So you, you went from sort of SNL to Andrew Lloyd Webber to uh, <laughs> the greatest hits of the '80s, then. Yes, to Rock of Ages and to Blondie. <laughs> and now, yeah. yeah, you're and now, really, really now, comp- now top forty, you know, music. Yeah, you're kind of, kind of almost working. Well, I don't want to say backward, but you know, going from the music of the '80s <laughs> to some of the music of the '70s. And, um, when you first heard Rock of Ages, obviously it's become a, a, a Phenomenal success on Broadway, you know, whether or not it was a success in the theater is a different story, in the motion picture, but in the theater, obviously, it was extremely successful, it was toward the country. Um, how did you get involved? I mean, was that something that, you know, someone pitched the idea, or you saw a casting call or something? Well, a, uh, my, my uh, manager, um, he, he told me about, well, basically, there's a guitar builder mm-hmm. that out in California, that guitar tech for uh, the band Night Ranger one night. Yeah. Night Ranger needed a guitar tech. He filled in. He met Joel from Night Ranger. Um, he 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 contacted my manager and me, and said that Joel is from New York. He's a new, you know, he's like a, you know, he was a hired, you know, he was he's new to the band, but he was new, um, newer, and so he's in New York. And so I contacted him uh, through MySpace at the time, probably. Yeah. And. Uh, just introduce myself, send them like my YouTube page and this and that, you know, the stuff that you should do, uh, that people still do networking mm-hmm. and hopefully something, you know, and I just said, Hey, if anything ever comes up, I'd love to meet you or whatever. I'm trying, you know, a musician trying to do this in New York, a rock, rock musician. And he was a rock musician in New York. So I didn't hear back from him until about six months later. And he, uh, he got offered the guitar one job at rock of ages. So, okay. and he needed to find, a sub to do the first uh, show because he was going to be out with Night Ranger. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a weird, uh, sticky situation for him. But he said he would find a sub, so they hired him for Guitar One. He called me. We talked, and uh, at the time I was playing with the Blue Man Group. So he, oh, okay. yeah, so I kind of had, so I, I guess I kind of had that rock background that he had. 
Um, we're both classical guitar players. We're both, you know, we have a very similar style. Um, he's light years ahead of me on um, ability and technique, but <laughs> we have a yeah. similar similar way of playing the guitar. Sure. Uh, so it was a good fit because I had the theater background of the of the Blue Man Group. So, uh, you know, usually when you come across rock musicians, you know, they can be really good and really successful, but some of them they're not the most reliable people. Uh, that could do eight shows a week, you yeah. know, in, in a theater situation. So that was kind of the fit, and he called and asked me if I was, you know, wanting to, wanted to get together and see if it worked, and it did. Yeah, so our arsenal took shape then. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was, I mean, I, you know, I, I thank him uh, I thank him regularly for that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> this, this, you know, the Rock of Ages thing has been a blessing. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, during that show, and, and I, I have to admit I haven't seen it in person yet, but um, are you guys on stage, or are you kind of down in the orchestra pit during the show yeah. itself? Yeah, we are. We're on stage. There's no orchestra pit. Okay. Uh, we're on stage in costume. Like, we have lines. We have choreography. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're characters uh, kind of in, in the show because the show takes place in the bar. Right. So, and then, there's, of course, there's a, there's a house band. Mm-hmm. A bar, you know, so we're 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 kind of like the house band. There you go. So we're there the whole time. That's awesome, and you, and you get to play. Obviously, I'm I'm assuming a lot of these tracks were you know songs of your youth, um, which has got to be really really fun to it, do. Yeah, I mean, some of them. I I mean, I'm gonna, I I grew up. I was born in the '80s, so I didn't. Uh, I kind of missed the whole curve of the '80s music. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the songs of my youth were Nirvana, Soundgarden. Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, sorry. Like the 90s. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but obviously my uh my the way that I grew up playing guitar, I didn't really uh, I shied away from a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you, which, if you're you're citing you Steve Vai and play, you know, guys like yeah, that's influence. Yeah, I mean those those are the people that I, I wanted to learn how to play the guitar and really know my way around it. Um, whereas you know the grunge music was that was about like like a, like you know the scene and and the and the songwriting, more the songwriting and, yeah. uh, at the time. Which, of course, now, where I'm at in my life, I kind of have gotten away from the from the technical side of the guitar, and, and, and I've gone back and revisited all those bands that I grew up with. Yeah. And, and now I see, like, oh, this is what they were doing at the time with the producing and the writing, the songwriting mm-hmm. of that era. So uh, there's, I, have, I actually have a lot more respect for it now than I did yeah. when I was a, a punk teenage guitar player. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess it, you know, I think I'm a, a, just a hair older than you, and a lot of those bands, you know, were kind of attributed to killing, you know, some of the some of the music of the '80s. So it's it's always a bitter pill. But yeah, it's always whatever the next genre is is going to say they're going to say killed the previous. You know, you got yeah. killed '80s, and then you have like the the rap and the and and killed the the grunge, and then now you have, now we have pop music that's kind of a mixture of you know uh, dance music mm-hmm. and, and heavy production that killed. You know, rock music and rap lived through that, and obviously you know, rap adapted to this. And but yeah. you know, nowadays you could say that all the today's music killed pretty much a lot of the guitar playing that we grew up with. Yeah, I think so, a lot of uh, a decent chunk of today's music seems to be killing the record industry, but that's a whole different subject. Oh yeah, well <laughs> it's it's just a lot of attention. I, I don't know. I yeah. feel like it's yeah, it's a, it's a attention span of people is you know it's just like yeah. the ability to get music so easily. And mm-hmm. be and be shown music uh, being, you know, presented with this new music instantaneously. You know, it's just it's just going to kind of people don't have the attention span anymore to go buy an album and listen to the whole thing. Yeah, I know when when Van Halen when Van Halen put out their album last was it February March whatever that was. Yeah. I made a point of putting it in the car CD player and not taking out for it was a good week or two. Yeah, just to which see, is what, which is what you normally did back in yeah. the day. Just to see if that caused that, you know, that repetitiveness. You you hear a song enough times that you start to get the hook buried in your head. You know, we don't do that anymore. You pull down an album. I could, you know, sit here while I'm talking to you and download seven or eight albums and jump around from track to track and and not give things time to take roots in your brain. Right. So that's the and that and and I think that uh, has 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 had a lot to do with why yeah. people just kind of literally you go from one thing to another. You know, I. I, I, I spoke in an interview the other day about Instagram and Twitter, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and I, and I really like those things as far as communicating and getting and fans, you know, like showing them what I'm doing or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because I have like a hundred characters, and it's mm-hmm. like instantaneous. Like 
here's a picture from what I'm looking at right now, what I'm doing with Blondie or, you know, mm-hmm. in my studio or et cetera, et cetera. And, and they like that because it's like right there at the moment. And then in a, in a day or there'll be another picture. And, and that kind of keeps it. And, that, and I think the most successful people these days in the music industry kind of, they, they understand that and they release they release their material in that same manner, so yeah. people kind of get it at the moment. If it's if it's amazing, they'll listen to it. They'll stick around on it. Mm-hmm. I there's some songs that come out today that I'm still listening to, that came out um, you know a couple years ago right. that I love. I still listen to them. I could sing the hooks all day long. Yeah. But but you're right. There's not there's not an album that I just like listen to all the way through over and over and over again. Um, yeah, it is. It is tough. I mean, people are, are like bumblebees, you know, just mm-hmm. one one song to the next. Well, but anyway, we got a little. Off track. No, that's okay. No, it is. It's a. It's an important thing, and it's interesting to get your insight from inside the industry. Now, how did you um, come onto Blondie's radar? I mean, you made that in what, 2010. You you joined up with her. Uh, yes, April, April 2010. I think. Yeah, that would be almost three years now. Yeah. How, so, did, how did you make that acquaintance? Well, at the. Um, there was a guy, uh, I, I was introduced to Matt, the keyboard player, a uh, couple years, maybe like a, a year or two before, um, before I, before I joined Blondie. And it was through a, a blue man drummer named Jordan and a, a producer named Jamie Siegel. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, two, those were like our mutual friends. And I guess, so Blondie needed a new guitar player. Or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Originally, they recommended Matt as a sub for me at Rock of Ages. Okay. So, because uh, he plays guitar as well, so I met him. We hung out a little bit, and uh, and then I guess Blondie went on tour, so we kind of lost contact. And obviously, he didn't sub because he was he was on tour all the time. So uh, they went away, and then I guess you know some time passed, and Paul had left the band. Paul was leaving the band, or had left the band, and they were throwing names around to uh, guitar players that people knew. And Matt asked Jordan and Jamie the uh, if, if they recommended a guitar player and I'd work with Jamie in the studio and I played with Jordan at Blue Man Group a lot so they, they both threw my name out and Matt was reminded because he had met me and saw the show saw Rock of Ages back when he came mm-hmm. so yeah he put my name in the in the hat or whatever and um, I guess they, they checked me out however they do that and they yeah. uh, and Debbie gave me a call and you you played a little bit um, on the uh, Panic of Girls album. Did, did you yeah. play guitar on that album? Okay, I did. I played I played on two songs when I when I came into the band. That album was kind of already done. Okay, uh, I think there were the uh, the two they did two songs with this producer Cato, um, the end and uh, mother. Okay, and those those were new songs. They hadn't been recorded yet. So oh. I I got to play on those. Um, I did the guitars on those, and you know, then Chris played his uh, played some stuff over it. Okay. But, yeah, that's, that's uh, those are the two songs I did. Now we're we're starting to work on new stuff now. Uh, oh yeah, I mean we have been. We're, mm-hmm. we're constantly writing and recording things, but I feel like it's really starting to uh, push into getting an album done now. Sure. So now in a situation where you have somebody like. You know, Blondie, who is you know iconic and known for, for you know sounding a particular way. Uh, I mean, how does the writing process work? You know, typically you think of a band. You know, you all get together and jam out a song, and maybe the singer lays vocals down over top of a scratch melody or something. But I mean, do you guys, you know, does she come with lyrics and you guys kind of work with it, or how, do, how does that kind of evolve? Well, a lot of this, a lot of this is uh, you know because again because of the technology today. Everyone has their own little studio and writing situation. Yeah. Um, you know, I have mine. I have a partner that I work with. Chris has. Chris likes to work with a a guy, um, and and Debbie has. Uh, I'm sure Debbie has a team of people that she is comfortable writing with, and uh, and I know Matt writes as well, and it's, so everybody kind of writes, kind of on their own. Uh, Matt and I have gotten together before and wrote a song for the album. Um, I know. I'm sure Matt and Chris get together. You know, Chris and Debbie obviously get together and write together. We never, but to answer your question, we never get in a room and write. Okay. Like band. Um, I, I, I think that's a great way to do it, and I think it makes everything very cohesive and glue, glued together because everyone kind of makes it what the band sounds like when we play together. Right. Uh, like what you come and see live. That's mm-hmm. kind of what things sound like in the end. But, you know, with, with technology today, it's, 
it's it's easy to just get your feelings out right there and write alone. Yeah. And, and hit record and just write and, and, and complete an idea and a thought in an evening by yourself. There is no like, hey, we got band practice tomorrow. You know, we, we're gonna we got we're gonna get together and write tomorrow. Yeah. And tomorrow's gonna be a brand new day, and you might not have that thought. So so now that people have a way to get it out uh, uh, cheaply and efficiently. It just kind of happens, um, yeah. and that, that's kind of where the writing process is, has evolved with a lot of a lot of bands, I think. Yeah. yeah. Now, with Blondie, are there tour plans for for this year yet, or is that, I, I know she see, you know the band seems to tour fairly regularly still. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's there's a lot. Um, yeah, we do. A, we I would say on a regular year we do four to six months of touring. Okay. Um, and I don't think. 2013 will be any different. Okay. Uh, I know we're booked already for a whole a lot of the festivals in the UK. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a show. There'll be a couple months over there in Europe and the UK. I've heard uh, I've heard rumors of other locations, um, but we'll see. You know, I, I the joke is is I normally find out about these shows when the fans write me and say you'll be coming <laughs> here. Hey, tell me so, you're coming. To, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what I, that's that's yeah. when I find out about. Oh, all right. So I guess I'm going to go play there. Yeah. Now, in addition to the you know the musical and, and touring with Blondie and writing and recording a new album, I mean, do you have time to do anything else? Um, is that, that yeah, I spend I pretty much spend all my days in the at my studio writing and okay. uh, doing music for commercials and oh okay uh, yeah my partner and I we we write a lot of music for uh, artists that we're, that we try to you know that we sell to pitch and we pitch to artists and labels okay so yeah and then and then what doesn't make it there we you know, kind of goes, ends up being, uh, uh, you know, licensed out for commercials mm-hmm. and, and movies, things. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of like my passion. Um, you know, the Broadway thing is a blessing because it's been, it's given me the ability to, to focus on writing and producing music yeah. and, and letting me make a studio Yeah. of like really, of really nice high and stuff. Um, but then, you know, I mean, my real passion is either playing on stage with like Blondie or, or you know any band like I, every now and then I, I play with people in the city just to get on stage and play in a club. Yeah, yeah. You can. Uh, that's 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 where that's where a lot of our fun and our passion is as a musician. Um, you know the Broadway thing. It's 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 uh, for what it is. You know it, it's a lot of fun, but we're doing the same show every night, eight shows a week in the same place. Yeah. Uh, so. And so sometimes, sometimes you go in there and you're in a great mood and it's and it's a great show. And other times you're kind of like like my mind will still be in the studio and what I was working on that day yeah. and that I had to pull myself away from. Like I'm writing, writing. I'm like, God, I'd love to just keep doing this. It's coming out great, and I have to go do a show. Yeah. And so I get to the show and my mind is still there in the studio thinking like about that. And it's it's a little tough to change to switch gears sometime and get into that mode of like, okay, now I'm a now I'm an '80s guitar player on stage. Yeah, yeah, and so, getting into costume and stuff, and I'm sure there's not yeah. a lot of you don't get to do a lot of extended solos, you know, those no, kind, no, of, no, kind of things that guitarists tend to love. Yeah, there's well, no, uh, there's, yeah, there's no. I, I have like a, there's one harmony solo in that show. So. Yeah. Well, Tommy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your obviously very hectic schedule to come on the show. It's been a, uh, an honor to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, man. If, uh, you know, if any anybody wants to contact me, the uh, I guess you'll probably have my information on there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Have you ever listened to an album and thought to yourself, man, I could do so much better than that? Well, here's your chance. My name is Sue, and I've decided to write my next album live and online at RageAndApathy.com. So come on over, leave me a comment, and tell me what you think about the album and where you think it should go. And as a bonus for you Iron City rockers out there, I will give you an exclusive copy of the first song as soon as I get it finished. So stop on over to RageAndApathy.com and join my madness. Bon Jovi in concert. Live in Pittsburgh. The man. The band. The hits. Don't miss Bon Jovi. It's my February 21st at Console Energy Center. No opening act. All night. All Bon Jovi. We weren't born to follow. 
February 21st at Console Energy Center. Buy your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com, 800-745-3000, and at the box office. Have a nice day. Don't miss Bon Jovi, produced by AEG Live. More at BonJovi.com. Have a nice day. All right, again, a special thanks to Tommy Kessler. Hope, uh, you know, if you're a musician out there, you learned a little bit from that uh, interview, especially uh, near the end when we were talking about uh, things you can do to make yourself a professional musician, learn about scoring TV commercials, movies, uh, et cetera, because there's a whole wealth of income there. Uh, I, I put this on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. The other day I was in my kitchen and we were listening to Pandora, and on came Europe's The Final Countdown. And if you're a... Uh, Child of that era, that's a song that you probably uh, ignore. Uh, and I have a, a, a child who went nuts because that song was on. Very excited because the song is featured in Just Dance 4. It's a revenue stream that many of you uh, probably are becoming aware of. I know Avenged Sevenfold have a track from Call of Duty now. So there's there's more ways to get the music out there than just the traditional, you know, put it on a CD, sell it at a show. So just things to think about. Uh, and what we're going to do now, we're going to transition into an interview that we did at the 29th of January show at the Altar Bar. The uh, show was completely sold out. The place was absolutely packed. Uh, and I know this is a band that a lot of people hate on, uh, the Black Veil Brides. Uh, but I, I would caution you that it might be worth a listen to the new album uh, to kind of reintroduce yourself. I think a lot of people pan them as a metalcore band. Um, you know, the glam look uh, maybe turns a lot of people off. But uh, the new album, uh, Wretched and Divine, really off the charts, uh, worth a listen. So we talked to Andy Biersack, uh at length about the Legion of the Black movie, which kind of is a companion to the Wretched and the Divine. So we're going to go into that interview now with Andy Biersack. Well, let me ask you that. Um, when you were youngster, your parents... Do you have some formal music training? I know you did some acting training. Uh, yeah, I went to uh, a creative arts high school. Okay. And, uh, I, I, I was a vocal music major and a, and a drama major. Okay. Which just meant that for most of the day when people are uh, going to regular school, I had a chance to learn about singing and acting. And, but what's funny is I had, no, I had no idea how to act, but I thought that I wanted to perform. And so like, I, I, I auditioned for the school. Uh, I didn't know any monologues, you know, like okay. when, you, when you audition for some sort of uh, drama department or something, you're supposed to know a monologue, you know, like yeah. somebody does like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or something. I didn't know any, so I recited the lyrics to the Misfits song, Dig Up Her Bones, <laughs> dramatically, and I, I got in. So, yeah, that was, like, and, I, and, and they continued that way, because my interest was always just being in a band, so I never really put too much stock in, like, when I was in choirs, I would always try to sing louder than everybody and be the lead singer of the choir, which didn't really work out. No. So I actually got kicked out of the vocal music department, not because I couldn't sing, but because I was trying to be the lead singer of the vocal music department, which turns out doesn't work. Now, did that, you know, going to a school like that help you with what became some of the theatrics and the look of the band? Did that give you the visual concept? Uh, maybe a bit. I mean, honestly, I, when I was really young, I would draw pictures of what I wanted to look like one day. It was kind of, you know, I would, obviously I, I discovered Kiss at a very young age and that was a huge influence on me in terms of realizing that you could combine these two things. When I first discovered Kiss, I didn't know anything about what it was. I just saw these guys that look like monsters and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I was probably four or five years old. Yeah. And uh, through that, that was kind of my introduction into rock music because before then, you know, I was listening to whatever was on the radio in 1994, yeah. you know, Kiss from a Rose by Seal or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever kids kids listen to and uh, then it was just like overnight just became all about rock music and I needed to find everything that was like Kiss so I looks the kill Molly Crew and you know yeah. Wasp and all these things that I got into through that and then it, from literally from five on it was nothing but coming home from school dressing up in costumes singing songs you know painting pictures of what I thought my band would look like one day it was it's funny because sometimes the the impetus of the people maybe attached to why we would be a theatrical band is sometimes, you know, way far-fetched or we get credit for some sort of idea or something. It was, it was more that we all grew up loving the same things and we just thought that's the way rock bands looked. You know, it was like, yeah. this is, well, that's what Blackie Lawless looks like, so that's, you know, that's the way a rock band should look. Yeah, and that's funny you mentioned Blackie Lawless because you were not even born when they sure. were really doing yeah. their thing. How did you stumble into that? I mean, was it just kind of working back from Kiss? Yeah, so um, 
found Kiss, and uh, there was kind of two sides. I found Kiss, and I, and I loved that when I was younger. And my dad was in punk rock bands, so okay. I would listen to you know Black Flag and the Misfits and all these things that my dad had. And then there was also my love of like theatrical rocks. And then I went backwards, and I found you know David Bowie, and I found the kind of seventies like glitter rock. And then I kind of through that, my introduction was I would go to the local record store. Like probably ten years old, I would yeah. have my dad drive me to the local record store, and I would get cassettes of things, and I would look at the covers and whatever covers jumped out at me. That's you know that's that's even how I found. A lot of the bands that I liked was, you know, just by looking at the cover of the album being like, wow, that looks awesome. Because at that age, and sometimes I argue with people about this, because sometimes people will say, um, oh, they're just about the image, and, and they'll make fun of our younger fans for, oh, they only like them for the image. And I yeah. go, look, when you were a kid, did you like the Ninja Turtles because you thought that they were, like, going to change the world, or did you think that they looked awesome? You know, it's like, when you're that young, you find an aesthetic thing that you attach yourself to, and that's what I did. And, and from there, that's how I got into... Music, and then that's how, what made me want to write music and write my own shitty songs. Right. Yeah. Now, the project you do with John Feldman, the Legion of the Black. I mean, most artists will bitch and moan about doing a five-minute video. You did what is essentially an hour-long music video. Right. How How much time did that take? Was that the writing process for that took longer than the filming? We didn't have much time. I mean, honestly, we, the record wasn't even done when we started right. filming it. We were filming it with backing tracks that were demos or okay. rough tracks um, because of you know it's it was kind of a crazy undertaking and it's not like you can really justify to a label hey we have this idea that no one's ever done anything like before can you can you get behind this they were like I, I guess you know yeah. it's Universal's credit they they supported us and they, they really made it into something that was a, a big deal and pretty awesome for us um, but yeah we shot it out in maybe the course of three weeks and uh, all over Los Angeles and Las Vegas area, you know, in the deserts. But the desert scene actually in the desert was that green? Yeah, yeah, no, that was all a, pla- a place called the El Mirage, which is a, a dry okay. lake bed, which you've seen a lot of stuff. I mean, it's in movies and TV all the time. Whenever they're in a desert situation, it's usually there. Uh, they film a lot of stuff there. Shot a lot there, and shot a lot in uh, Bakersfield and like oil fields and stuff. Okay. And uh, all of the the hospital, all of the the fear stuff was shot in a hospital in uh, downtown Los Angeles. It's an abandoned mental hospital called uh, Linda Vista, which is actually one of the, like those ghost hunter places that people go to all the time. And when we were do when we were shooting, we would have to pause shooting because they have tours, haunted tours that come through. So we'd be shooting in the middle of the hallway, and we have to wait for the tourists to come through. Um, yeah, but just kind of going all around. Just how did you team up with Patrick? To the director of the film. How did you begin working with him? Uh, I was 17 and I had just moved to Los Angeles and I started dating this girl who was an actress and uh, I didn't have anything to do. I was just trying to make my band happen. You know, I, I'd moved away from home before I finished high school and uh, all I had was this belief that I was going to be successful and that I was going to be in this big band and everything. But I had nothing really solid to back it up. So I, uh, she went to Georgia to film on location this movie that she was doing and I didn't have anything to do. So I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll come along. You know, I've got, I have literally no money. I'm living off of pennies and, you know, sleeping in my car or sleeping in her house because I didn't have anywhere to go. Sure. So I'm like, fine, free trip, I'll come hang out, you know. And, and uh, I, I went down there and I, uh, he was shooting um, B-roll footage for the film, and uh, he didn't have a whole lot to do because it was B-roll stuff, and I certainly didn't have a lot to do yeah. because I was uh, the guy holding the purse and standing at the craft service yeah. thing, just waiting for scenes to be done so that you know, I could I could hang out or whatever. And um, you know, just got to talking and Hello. being the the kind of eternal cocky fake it till you make it guy that I was. He asked me, you know, you cool look, are you in a band? And I was like, yes, of course I'm in a band. And, you know, he's like, well, do you have songs? Yes, I have a lot of songs. They're the best songs you've ever heard. Now, at the time, maybe I had a handful of songs that I'd written and recorded back in, in Kentucky, where I'm from. And uh, so I, I told him that I, I did have songs, and he goes, well, I make music videos. And I go, you know what? Let's 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 make music videos when we get back. And he goes, okay, I'm gonna, I'll, uh, I'll hit you up on that when we get back to Los Angeles. So couple months go by and uh, he gives me a call and says hey man I got like a couple weeks free you want to try to get something together shoot that video and I go yeah of course now at this point mind you I don't have a band together I have three songs that I think are solid and I have no money so I, I, I at this point now I have to I call him back maybe a couple days later and I go I gotta be honest with you um, I don't have any money nor do I have a band but if you set a date for when we're going to film this, I will get together a band and we will find funding. 
So through my parents donated a little bit of money, uh, a couple other people that I'd scrounged, I think we scrounged up like a thousand dollars or something. And uh, Patrick put in what he could. And uh, I went around my apartment complex and I met a couple people that looked like rock people. And I said, hey, do you want to pantomime pretending to play <laughs> a musical instrument in a video? And uh, there was a person that I knew from back home who pretended to play guitar. Uh, the girl I was dating's like best friend was the drummer, <laughs> the girl drummer, Sandra. Um, and there was another guy named Alan who was meant to be the bass player. And his dog actually died the night before the video, so he had to leave and never did it. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost entirely certain that he regrets that at this yeah. point. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so that video was Knives and Pens, and we shot it in a white room because it's all we could get yeah. so I thought the theme of this video will be white we'll all just wear white because I and now we've since been given credit as like a genius move because yeah. you know the white and the black veil brides and everything but that was just a, a, a you know came out of necessity yeah. and so uh, but what I did was before I made that video with him I said if you do this for me I, I promise you that within at least three years we will be making huge major, major label videos together and he believed the lie of a 17 year old yeah and, uh, that's a big big uh, check to write and it worked out so yeah. Yeah, and that video, it's funny you mentioned the white, because, you know, you think that I almost did when I first thought about, like, Clockwork Orange, if that was of course, yeah. something you that considered. Was a huge, that, was the, that was the impetus for the white, it was like, okay, well, they, the place that we were filming happened to have all these mannequins. So I was like, all right, we'll just do like, Clockwork Orange, we'll do white, and I'll do the thing, and, like, it'll be, that'll be the theme, I guess. And, yeah. Accidental genius, then. Yeah. All right, so you guys have, you're doing one more date in North America, and then you're going over to the UK for a couple weeks? Yeah, about two weeks in the UK, and then we come back and do the second leg in the States. And then you're doing, uh, you're going back to the to Europe in what April? Uh, yes, April we're doing the uh, mainly sure. Europe. Yeah, and then do you have plans for the summer side. yet, you guys? We do, but um, they're not nothing set in stone yet. So, all right. Nobody can
All right, the track you heard there was called Let the Devil Drive, the band Devil by Design. Uh, they got in touch with us through our Facebook page, uh, the band out of Ohio. Uh, going to be doing some touring, hoping to get a gig in the Pittsburgh area in the month of March, so we're hoping to help them find something. I think uh, a lot of people might really like the sound of that band, so it's definitely worth checking out. Devil by Design. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to our show. Uh, we appreciate any and all feedback at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. If you're listening to this episode close to when it's coming out, there are a few few days left in our capital campaign where we are trying to raise some funds for uh, a new DLSR to shoot some shows. If you go to ironcityrocks.com, you can see there's a pictorial uh, done by one of our photographers, Sean, on the uh, Black Veil Brides. We also have uh, some other shows that were done at the Dead Horse Cantina and McKee's Rocks, uh, which is a great uh, little venue for seeing some really intimate shows with some big names. So I'm going to get some better equipment so we can bring you guys better stuff. And what we've done on that, uh, it's uh, Indiegogo.com forward slash Iron City Rocks camera. We try to give you stuff that's of value. We don't want you to just send us 25 bucks and you know we send you a thank you or give you a shout out on Twitter or some worthless thing like that you send us uh what you do go to the website you make a donation send us some money and you can pick out what you want uh, we've tried to do things that are of of good value so you can get a black label society t-shirt an alice cooper t-shirt we have a mountain of cds uh if you're interested in co-hosting the show doing an interview with a band uh there's an opportunity for you to do that so as many of you are listening it might have been fun for you to talk to Andy Beersack or Tommy Kessler or you know any one of the hundreds of guests we've had on this show, there's your chance. Uh, we're not guaranteeing any particular artist, but uh, we will work with you, listen to what your interests are, see if we can uh, line something up. And as you look back at our 185 prior episodes, we, we've interviewed a lot of really, really great artists. So, Also, just want to give a real quick, if you go to guitarworld.com, search for Tommy Thayer. Uh, there's an article I did on his new Epiphone guitar. So as many of you have listened to the show over the years know I'm a big Kiss fan. Actually, the whole staff is a big Kiss fan. So it was really cool to talk to Tommy. Um, don't want to go on too much of a rant, but uh, if you haven't listened to the album Monster, and, and you know I mentioned earlier people kind of hate on the Black Veil Brides for whatever reason, I think Tommy Thayer uh, is also a victim of that criticism. And, and just real quickly... In preparing to do that interview, I had an opportunity to look back at you know Tommy's work with Kiss, and obviously he's been in the band now ten years. Um, and, and I even have been very, very critical of his playing style being so close to what Ace has done. Well, on Monster, I will be very pleased to say that he's very much stepped out of that box. Obviously, the the track out of this world, the lyrical content is still very Spaceman, but that's the job he has. So you can't criticize a person for doing the job they were asked to. I know as many of you would if Kiss called me today and asked me to play guitar, I'd dress up like a chicken if they wanted me to. So I can't criticize him for taking the job. But one of the things that bothered me early on in Tommy Thayer's career was that he put out a new signature Spaceman amp through Gallatin Kruger, uh, which is a pretty high-end amplifier, nothing that I was going to run out and buy. But I remember seeing the ad for the amp with Tommy there in his full uh, Spaceman makeup and realizing that he had... Uh, you know what we all think of as Ace's makeup right there on the amplifier and he's there giving the thumbs up which was what Ace had already done and it really really frankly pissed me off because it was like this guy is is selling Ace's image uh, and I kind of held that uh, a grudge for quite a long time but in doing the interview uh, preparing to talk to Tommy had an opportunity to learn that that man doesn't make a nickel off that amplifier uh, that amplifier all proceeds from that amplifier actually go to a hospital in California, um, which really spoke to me. Uh, you know, I think everybody knows somebody in their life that's lost a child to illness or, or things like that, and it's a very, very sad thing. So, you know, I was looking at this as this man took what life has presented him, the opportunity to be guitars and kiss, and actually used it instead of to buy uh, drugs and booze like some other guitarists and kiss or jars to put their dogs in. This guy actually took that opportunity to help people. So, for what it's worth, Tommy's all right in my book. Uh, a big thumbs up, a big Ace Frehley thumbs up to Tommy. 
Uh, and again, Monster's a phenomenal album. It's it's really really worth a listen. It's a lousy ten bucks at you know Walmart. So pick it up. All right, that's enough of my rant. Uh, you can find us at Facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, Twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, YouTube.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. And again, if you want to chime in on Tommy Thayer or anything else we said in the show, Iron City Rocks at Gmail.com. So until next time, we thank you for listening. Uh-huh.